0: Welcome to The Sword in the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks so much for listening to The Sword and the trial today. Uh, we are glad to have you with us, and we would love to have you with us in January. January 21 through 23, we have our conference on the doctrine of God, and we found more space. Yeah. So, boy, a lot of people signed up on the waiting list, and now that waiting list is no longer a waiting list. It's yeah. like you don't have to wait and sign up now, but you need to register even if you were on the waiting list, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. I think we had uh, over 200 or so on the waiting list. Most of those have now Signed up uh, and registered formally, so we will pretty soon be approaching the the limits of the larger venue as well. So, as we've told the folks around here locally, man, love to have you come. want you there, but if you don't register before it closes, you could miss out again. So go there and plan to show up in January in Southwest Florida. Mm -hmm. It's a great place to be, great time to be. Also, uh, let me encourage you, if you've not checked out the Wield the Sword project, we are a mere uh, couple of weeks away, we think, from dropping that first episode of season one, Wield the Sword, and this one will be the Word in the World. Mm -hmm. We also have a matching gift right now. It won't be around for forever. I think it's another three or four weeks, but you could go to founders.org, look at wield the sword. And right now, if you will contribute to that project, help us to get money together so that we can begin working on season two up until the middle of November, every dollar you give will be matched. It'll be doubled. And so you can help us get a long way down the road if you will contribute to that uh, project. So it's a, we think it's a worthwhile project. I've sat in on some of the interviews and man, Uh, They're going to be dynamite, and we look forward to getting them finished and out, and then season two recorded.
0: If you like listening to The Sword and the Trowel and you just want some more content, we have more content available. It's in the Armory, and that is accessed by those who are fan members or Founders Alliance members. And you can come in at three different levels. Uh, We're constantly putting... um, Video footage up there and some audio footage and uh, resources continually going up in the armory. So check that out. Check out what it means to join the fam at founders.org. Well, um, we've been talking a lot about the problem of being a victim lately and we see that Mm -hmm. going on and it's always gone on and ever since the fall and in pastoral ministry we experience that a lot Mm -hmm. just being human being men we experience that a lot in our own we don't need to have any kind of relationships to know what it's like to be a victim we've Mm -hmm. all done that before But uh, certainly in the year 2020, when we look at what's going on in society, we see how victimization, we see systemic victimization. (laughs) That's what we see.
1: Absolutely. And it began in the Garden of Eden, you know, I mean, God uh, called Adam to account. What did Adam do? Well, he threw his wife under the bus. So Adam Mm -hmm. blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent. The serpent didn't have a leg to stand on.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, so that, that was funny. And you didn't even laugh. Were you listening to me? Actually, I didn't catch the end. I didn't catch the end. That was funny. It was funny. It was actually really, really funny. thank you. Yeah, that was good. I need laughter. And you laughed at my joke. I did About systemic victimization. Yeah. I'm feeling a bit like a victim right now.
1: (laughs) Well, just wait. This show show is early. Just wait. (laughs) I'll give you another opportunity.
0: What? (laughs) Okay, so uh, victims have responsibility too. Right. That was the word, that you, a phrase that you just coined before we turned the cameras on. And I yeah. think it should be the title of this podcast. And whatever does that mean, victims have responsibility too.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it's like uh, in our culture today, victimhood and, and whoever can claim the greatest amount of oppressions, it's like a get out of jail free card. So, you know, if you offended me and I can be convinced that you offended me, and if I can convince others you offended me, then, man, I got you. Because now if you say you didn't offend me, well, then, you know, you're the guy who's on the outs with everybody who sees it my way. Uh, that doesn't mean there aren't real uh, victimizations that take place. Mm. I mean, People sin against each other. People commit crimes against each other. People do horrendous things against each other. But just because I've had a crime Committed against me, or I've been victimized legitimately, doesn't mean that I am free and don't have to care about what God says regarding how I'm to respond. Mm-hmm. And as you know, Christians should get this, because you think about Jesus, in one sense, if we're just thinking about the uh, horizontal relationships, well, nobody has been more victimized than Jesus. Mm-hmm. He was betrayed. He was lied about. Mm-hmm. He was murdered. I mean, all those things you can make the case for horizontally. And how did he respond? Well, Peter tells us. You know how he responded. That he didn't strike back. He didn't revile those that reviled him. He committed himself to his heavenly Father as a faithful judge. So that's just one aspect of how we are to. Uh, conduct ourselves whenever we are genuinely mistreated in this world. But there's all kind of other things, too. So fundamentally, as Christians, we never get to quit living under the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ or ignoring his example and his precepts. And that's true even whenever you're mistreated.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you pointed to Christ, it was thinking of what Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he was suffering the greatest injustice yeah. of all time. And yet he looked at the people that were abusing him, the people that were uh, harming him, victimizing him. And he had grace toward them, had mercy toward them, actually interceded for them uh, yeah. before God. And what an example that is to us. And the, the victim thing so important because... There's a lot of different situations you might find yourself in. You may find yourself in a situation where you really are a victim. Mm -hmm. You really have been wronged. Um, You may find yourself in a position where you feel that you're a victim, but you really haven't been wronged. And it's easy to find other people in a society like ours that will reassure you that you are a victim even when in reality you're not. So maybe that's principle number one, determining whether you have been wronged or not. And of Mm. course, how are you going to do that? Well, you've got to do that according to God's law. You have to do that according to God's word. That's why we like publishing books like The Law and the Gospel. This is by Ernie Riesinger. If you haven't gotten that book, then we encourage you to get that book. Because you're going to have to look to God's law and say, okay, have I been wronged here? Has someone uh, transgressed God's law, so therefore sinning against God and sinning against me? Mm-hmm. And immediately after you ask that question, uh, you need to know God's law. You need to know um, how serious that wrong has been. Mm-hmm. I mean, this happens immediately. So every, you, we've, we've all been living this way from the time that we were little kids and trying to figure out how to navigate situations in our home and then navigate situations in our workplace and navigate situations in our church. Okay, well, I have been wronged. We all know the problem of uh, somebody rendering to us a light offense and us treating it as if it was the most grievous thing that has ever happened. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you can get that backward in the other way. But one of the truths is uh, we need to see that there are sins that are greater than others. Mm -hmm. Jesus himself talks about this. The one who handed me over to you is uh, guilty of the greater sin. And so there's gradations of sin. And you should be thinking along those lines when you're considering whether you have been wronged or whether you've wronged somebody else.
1: Yeah. And and to go back to this idea of, you know, have I been victimized? Have I been sinned against? Have someone mistreated me? Uh, When a person feels that way, I mean, we we get our feelings hurt uh, uh, a lot and oftentimes in ways that aren't completely legitimate, but it doesn't keep you from hurting. So, I might think that uh, uh, someone has mistreated me by neglecting me or breaking their word to me or intentionally doing something that that ruined my plans or my life in some way. And I I might be believing things that just simply aren't true. And then in in uh, other ways, you can hold people to standards that are not God's Mm -hmm. standards, and expectations, you know, well, if you love me, you would do this. Or how could you do that? You must hate me. And, and that's a matter of conscience. And so one of the things in pastoral ministry we're always having to do for ourselves and to try to help our people is to have your consciences shaped by the word of God so that and it starts with the law, as you said, you understand what God requires says is right and good and true and what god says is wrong and bad and false and you try to get your emotions uh hitched to that you, so you want to be trained by that so you know if uh somebody slights me in a little way or somebody doesn't do for me what i would like to have them do for me if i can say well okay but you know they really didn't have any moral obligation to do it anyway oh, that, if, if my affections are being discipled by the word of god then I'm not going to make that a big deal. I'm not going to either try to blackmail them emotionally or distance myself from them and punish them in some other way because I think, well, I'm justified because they've sinned or they've done something horribly wrong. Well, no, they haven't. They haven't. I have just had my conscience misshaped. So, you know, conscience is important. You should never go against conscience, but that's the whole argument Romans 14 is sometimes your conscience can be weak because it hasn't been taught well. Mm-hmm. Conscience isn't the final arbiter of what's right, good, and true. Conscience helps alert you to how you should respond to things that you perceive to be right, good, and true. But if your conscience is being discipled by something other than the Word of God, then man, you set yourself up to be emotionally jerked around by people and very often tempted to take on this victim mentality when in reality you have no right to it. You haven't been victimized objectively. Doesn't mean you don't hurt. Doesn't mean your feelings aren't real. We want to acknowledge that. But pastorally, Christianly, what do we do to help people? We try to, you you take a person like that and you don't commiserate with them. You don't say, oh, you poor baby. And, you know, just kind of pet that and try to talk them out of it. No, you, you, you gently try to come alongside them and say, you know, let's look at this. Is it right for you to be weeping? Is it right for you to be harboring this sense of being wounded? Mm -hmm. Let's look at it and try to examine it in the Bible. And if you can do that, man, you're setting them free. You're discipling them. You're getting them to, on a pathway of greater emotional spiritual
0: health. Yeah. Sins of omission and sins of commission come into play here. Because while, th- there's probably a way to try to Christianize some of the hyper victimization nonsense that we see out in the world. And then people say, well, you know, here's, here's how it kind of makes its way into um, the Christian practice. Is we think, well, doesn't the Bible say that um, you're to love people? you know Mm -hmm. and so you have a you have a positive command if you will like a sin that you're a a command of something you are supposed to do Mm -hmm. and well there's not a single day of the week that uh, we do that perfectly so we fall short of that we omit certain things that we could do and if you start to think of that with yourself at the center as a victim you say well i mean doesn't this person aren't aren't they supposed to love me i don't feel very loved i mean Mm -hmm. i don't they haven't even talked to me they haven't called me they haven't uh, direct messaged me on twitter and said anything to to me that would signal to me that they're loving me or um, you get this in guys that get sideways in their marriages well aren't I supposed to be respected you know I don't think that there was enough respect in the way that I was approached I don't think people respect me because you know they had this conversation and I wasn't there or whatever it might be well you need to know. one of the things is look at the sins of commission and ask yourself you know did the person murder you like did the person slander you did the person disrespect you? And that can at least give you some bearings for your emotional mm. life. Okay. Um, no, the person didn't like my Facebook or my Instagram post. Okay. But, um, <laughs> okay. Yes. Which is the thing. Yes. Your brother fell short. because <laughs> Your sister fell short because she didn't like your Instagram post. And she's had, a, she's had a tendency of liking your Instagram post. And you're just confused. Why she wouldn't like this I Instagram know. post? Um, okay. Well, she hasn't done any. She hasn't committed any crime against you or any sin against you. Um, but then look at those sins of omission and you've got to say okay now let me think biblically about those what what actually is required of this person does mm-hmm. does love your neighbor Um, necessitate that you do the things that you're expecting of this person or as your standard um, too high and you have to take other doctrines into account you have to understand the scripture what God's revealed about God what he's revealed about man Mm -hmm. what he's revealed about human limitations you have to have the wisdom to look at the person involved whether it it be a husband or a wife or children or parents and say what's going on in this person's life right now you need to have some some sense and some of that just comes from not putting yourself at the very center of your life which is as long as you're there well you have you have an inflated view of yourself and so you're expecting all of this stuff to come from you you're expecting these people to provide for you what only God can provide for you Mm -hmm. and so you get it's it's it is sticky because you can get sideways like that and you could be looking at a bunch of biblical texts. So I'm just expecting them to do what God has said to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's so many biblical doctrines that are uh, beneath the surface here. And so it's why it's so vitally important that that we be well-grounded in scripture, why it's so important to be in a church, to be in covenanted relationships with other believers in a church where the Bible is being systematically, expositionally taught so that you don't get to skip over any portions mm-hmm. of scripture. But you know... I think of Jesus, you know, there, there were times people were clamoring for Jesus and he said, no, we're going to go to the next town. He disappointed him. He disappointed him. Now, did he sin? No, he didn't sin. Were they really disappointed? Yeah, they were really disappointed. But the problem was not with Jesus. The problem was with how they held their expectations of him. And we've got to guard against that as well. Fundamentally to this is God, you know, the, the, the sovereignty of God, uh, If we really believe what the Bible says about God's sovereign rule of the world and our lives in it, then not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of our Father in heaven, as Jesus said. Even our hairs on our head are numbered. There's not one thing that can happen in this world that is out from under God's sovereign control, which means that providentially he's ordering our steps. If we're thinking like this and our siblings – take us and threaten to murder us, but decide instead just to sell us into slavery. And so you wind up going into slavery and spending all of your adult life as uh, one who's lived in slavery and been imprisoned and and then been afforded some opportunities in the greatest empire in the world. When your brothers show up at your doorstep, you don't murder them. Mm -hmm. You think, yeah, man, you meant this for evil. God meant it for good, which is exactly what Joseph did, what he said in Genesis fifty twenty. So if you are thinking right about God, you're not going to go very far down that victimization road, because if you do, then you're going to have to forget God. Because if you remember God, you can even look at something as horrific as being sold into slavery and say, okay, you guys did it, you're wrong, it was sinful, it was criminal, but God did it. And it was for my good and for his glory.
0: Right. So there's a great danger in thinking that you're a victim when you're really, you have not been victimized. And there's a danger also in actually having been wronged, Mm -hmm. but then giving into the victimization mindset, not dealing with it correctly. There is a danger in um, pretending as if you have never been wronged. Mm -hmm. So some of the we 're trying to correct what we see as a rampant uh, victimization culture, but one of the things we we want to make sure that we 're not saying is we 're not saying that you know no one has ever wronged anybody like you 've never been wronged in your life well then what what sense would it make when God tells us to forgive when you mm. He commands us to forgive people. And that's because there are times where we really are wrong. Somebody has done an injustice to me. And we need to think through, how, what is it, how do you deal with that? What do you do when you actually have been wronged? Well, first, you need to have a sense of the gradation of the wrong. Was it somebody stepped on my toe? Or are you in a case where there's been physical abuse done to you? Right, this is, These are radically different situations. You need to, you're going to be operating in different ways. Some of the things are going to be the same that you do. But some of the things are going to be very different that you do. One of the things that you do is forgive, but forgive, especially in the case of something like physical abuse, doesn't mean that you are just going to stay right there in that same right. situation and act like, you know, that it didn't happen. Yeah. No, there's going to have to be fruit of repentance. There's going to, have to be all sorts of measures that are taken in such a situation. But one of the key things been operating in my mind, especially as we look at, at uh, society right now where we've had, we have wrongdoing um in a civil way coming down from governors. So we've experienced this actual tyranny and oppression from people who are civil authorities. And you've seen a lot of Christians be able to stand up to that and not get bitter and not uh, whine about it or complain about it. But actually, as they're suffering the wrongdoing, uh, John MacArthur is a wonderful example of this yet again, he's actually seeking the welfare of the people mm-hmm. that ha- that are wronging him. It's just taking responsibility for the situation, trying to see the right thing done. Um, so engaging in that long suffering that's modeled for the, from the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah. You know, we're never free not to forgive. And I know there's debates about, um, uh, are you do you have to forgive somebody who doesn't repent? And I would argue, yes. I know good people I respect who say, no, you don't. You, you know, God doesn't forgive unless people repent. So we don't either. But uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 25 says, you know, when you go to pray, if you're standing there to pray and you remember you have anything against anyone, forgive them from your heart. So it's not If they repent, and and there's a textual question, I think, on the next verse about whether it exists or not in the best manuscripts. But it says, if you don't forgive, then your Father in heaven won't forgive you either. Which, you know, in the the, uh, Lord's Prayer, there's that language uh, right after it as well. So the the obligation to forgive is always on us. I mean, we we are told in um, Ephesians 4.32... That we are to forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven us. So if I've been victimized, yeah, I'm obligated to forgive. And if you live with unforgiveness, man, as people have said, it's it's like, you know, pouring acid on yourself, hoping it burns the other guy. I mean, you're just killing yourself Mm -hmm. emotionally and spiritually. But it's helped me to think about forgiveness in terms of its relationship to reconciliation. Because what happens, man, you got a relationship and uh, you're like this and sin or offense or crime happens and boom, there's two walls that go up. There's the wall on the part of the one who committed the offense and there's the wall on the part of the one who was offended. So if you're the one who was offended, you're the victim, what's the obligation? Well, you need to, in Christ, lower your wall. You need to forgive. You need to grant forgiveness. You need to not hold that against them and, uh, and charge them with that in and, and, and a way that you're going to uh, never uh, be willing to be reconciled to them. Well, what's the responsibility on the part of the one who committed the offense? It's to repent. When there's repentance, over the wrong and forgiveness for being wrong, there can be reconciliation. But what happens whenever the one who was offended forgives, but the one who did the offending doesn't repent? Well, you can live in forgiveness, but you can't live in reconciliation. It's not going to go back. You're not going to be able to restore the relationship because there has to be repentance. And I see this a lot of times in trying to help folks that have been uh, physically, sexually abused. You know, with Oftentimes, there's somebody very close to them who's done it, and so they have biblical responsibilities in the relationship to a father or someone else. What do you do? Well, you know, it, it, it's hard, but this is the way we're called to live. Walk in forgiveness. Walk in forgiveness. That doesn't mean you pretend like nothing happened. And if this guy says, oh, look, man, you've got to forgive me. You're a Christian, so let's just go back. Well, you need to repent. If you're not going to repent, I'm not going to pretend like you're okay. You're you're not okay, and I'm not harboring uh, ill will toward you, but I want you to know there can be no reconciliation until you repent. Well, it goes the other way, too. The person can commit the offense and repent, and the person you've offended or committed the crime against cannot forgive, and you can't be reconciled. But you can walk in repentance, which is what we're called to do. So keeping that kind of uh, nuanced, distinctive, clear in my mind helps me to say, okay, I can forgive, but that doesn't mean we got to pretend like nothing happened and everything is okay. But where there's repentance, genuine repentance, genuine forgiveness, and there can be real reconciliation, it puts the power of the gospel on display. This is exactly how Christians are called to live, and this is what we've got to be encouraging each other to do in the church. And one of the reasons I think God calls us to live together in the church and why you can't be a faithful Christian outside of a church is because you've got to live closely enough to other sinners that they will offend you. And and how else are you going to learn to forgive if you're not living close enough to to sinners who will hurt you and wound you so that you can learn to forgive the way that your Lord has forgiven you?
0: Yeah, and then pursuing... um pathways of either discipline, if it be uh, in the home or some kind of uh, discipline, if it be in the church or even a punishment for crimes in the civil realm, pursuing any of those things, if it warrants that kind of rod or um, excommunication or um, the sword you can do those things while walking in forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So in the case of sexual abuse, well, you're going to forgive and you're going to involve civil authorities to bring the sword to that situation. And that doesn't have to be done from the Christians uh, vantage point uh, in bitterness. It doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be done in, um, in vengeance. Vengeance belongs to the Lord and in the civil realm, that's going to be executed through the sword. But, there's a way to actually pursue those things in forgiveness. And it's, it's, that's a powerful, powerful thing. So when you say victims have responsibilities too, it's saying, okay, um, I'm not at the very center of my entire life. The Lord Jesus Christ is, and I'm out here working for the Lord, I'm serving the Lord, and in the midst of doing that in a fallen world, am I, have I been wronged by a particular brother, by a sister, by somebody random? Yeah. Well, I can walk in forgiveness, and I can do what the Lord has said to do in that relationship. I can yeah. pursue whatever it is that would be appropriate in that given situation, but I'm doing it in a way that's trying to make everything better, uh, even out of genuine love toward the person that has wronged me. That's a place that we can go and we can go by the spirit. And mm-hmm. it's radically different than the victimization. we keep using that word. One of the things that I think is Im- embedded in that word is this idea of me at the center, absolute shock and dismay that I have been wronged and a resolve to hold on to it in such a way that it's never, it's never gonna go away. It's always gonna kind of be with me. It's always gonna control my life.
1: Yeah, and and some of this is learning to have our emotions trained biblically. You know, Paul says to the Corinthians that he was joyful, uh, sorrowful. Sorrowful but always rejoicing. Yeah, there it is, sorrowful but always rejoicing. And we usually think of those things as, you know, either or, you can be sorrowful, you can be rejoicing. He says, no, I'm sorrowful, always rejoicing. So that means that we can have what feel like competing emotions living within us at the same time. So when somebody... Uh, victimizes you. And again, I, I just keep coming back to physical abuse, sexual abuse that, you know, we've seen so much of uh, you can think, Oh, I'm supposed to forgive. So that means I can't be angry. No, you ought to be angry. There's a righteous anger. You ought to hate that. And it's, it's right. It's not just, okay, it's right to feel wounded. It's right to grieve. It's right to have a, a, a proper kind of indignation that is uh, according to the word. I mean, Jesus got angry, and didn't ever sin. And we're commanded in Ephesians 4 to be angry and not sin. I'm not sure I've ever done it, but I, I, it's got to be possible because it's there. So uh, don't hear us saying that, man, you know, if somebody's really abused you badly. whether well, you, can, you can't feel that. You know, you just got to forgive it. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of forgiveness that the Bible teaches that lived in our Lord when he walked in forgiveness. Nevertheless, calling sin, sin, calling out People who promoted horrific actions against folks for doing so and uh, ex- experiencing genuine anger. So, uh, so much of this again is coming back to what does the Word say? How does the Word train us? How do we see the Lord Jesus dealing with these types of realities in His own incarnate life here on earth when He was mistreated? when he was lied about, when he was crucified in fulfillment of God's will. Think rightly about God. Think rightly about yourself. Do your best to have your emotions trained by scripture and to take God at his word. When he calls you to live in forgiveness, live in forgiveness, but don't misunderstand what that means.
0: Mm -hmm. Especially in the church, um, Christian relationships. We should be aware of trying to pursue reconciliation without God. I think this is a real deal man there's if you can do everything that you did in your reconciliation without god then you're not doing it right right and we kind of operate in this way i remember just noticing this pattern years ago and seeing it and trying to make sure we avoid it in counseling and and, in navigating relationships it's where you know person a wrongs person b and um person b brings it to person a person a expresses sorrow i'm sorry and then we kind of take that sorrow as payment so it's like that sorrow i've been wronged and your sorrow is payment for the wrong and because you're sorry enough uh, it's clear in your expressions and it's clear maybe even in your restitution uh, that you're sorry enough well now now that i'm whole again and your sorrow has filled the gaps we're good everything's good Well, the problem is you can do all that without the blood of the cross. Mm -hmm. You can do all of that without a God in heaven. It's just, you know, it's, I take... Whatever I take from you i i 've used this illustration, always makes people laugh in their counseling I said there's been a wrongdoing here. I mean, look, if I smack Tom in the face, the only way we 're going to be right is if Tom smacks me in the face at the exact same speed at the exact same level, and it 's got to all be identical, and if it 's not, well then things aren 't even things aren't equal we're, we're, just, we're not right, and you, it, it helps people see the foolishness of trying to get perfect justice mm-hmm. in a fallen world right. it doesn't happen in personal relationships doesn't happen in the church doesn't happen in the in the civil world when you're before the judge, I mean, how you? We are supposed to pursue it. So I'm not saying we're not Mm -hmm. supposed to pursue it. If you uh, kill somebody in cold blood, well, your life is to be taken, right? But we're not going to pretend that 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 life for life is identical in every way. And somehow is a perfect uh, justice, it's not the damage is far more, but you're, you're, you're attempting to get it. So in your relationships, what you have to do when you're, when you're victimized, the power is in seeing that, Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Yeah. And it's vengeance isn't even a bad thing. It's just something that God does and that we don't do. And I'm entrusting all of that. I can say, if this person's a Christian, well, then Jesus died for that sin. He's already paid for that sin. It's paid perfectly by the blood of Christ. I'm not going to exact, I don't have to exact. Um, punishment from that and Jesus has already suffered it or the person's going to suffer for that sin in hell but either way God is going to make sure that the scales mm-hmm. are balanced perfectly I have to entrust myself to God and it gives me this confidence this ability to know that yes God mm-hmm. God has made this right now should that person express sorrow absolutely sorrow is a part of that person's repentance and there there's there's a powerful healing process that goes when somebody acknowledges what he or she has mm-hmm. done But the other person doesn't have to be sitting around waiting for that to experience that healing and and to kind of come out of this this victimization closet that we can put ourselves in.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and that raises another important point that you uh, uh, laid the groundwork for earlier is the danger of uh, thinking in terms of moral equivalency about sins or offenses and man this happens far too often even with uh, some good training that's available about here's how you work for reconciliation among believers whenever there's been sin or there's been division or whatever it's look we're all sinners and so we know that whatever you did you had some sin on your part and whatever you did or happened to you you had sin on your part so uh, here you got George and uh, you know he has slashed the tires on Rob's car and so Rob screamed at George for doing that. So you get them together. So, okay, well, you know, Rob, you shouldn't have screamed or, you know, you know, that's sinful. And George, you shouldn't have slashed the tires. You know, that's sinful. So confess your sin, confess your sin, forgive, forgive. Okay. Tumaya. Yeah. Now we're all good. No, you're not all good. You got four slashed tires, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that is a higher crime. That's, they're not morally equivalent. And me and pastors need to get this. We, and how do you get it? Law and gospel. You start thinking rightly about the law. There are weightier matters of the law, Jesus said. And so if there's a a, a crime or an offense that has been committed that has left a person wounded, and so now i got four flat tires and can't go to work, and it's got all kinds of education, well, this guy needs to own that. He needs to make that right. Mm -hmm. Did you scream at him? Yeah, okay, you shouldn't have screamed at him. But those are not the same thing. Right. And they're not equivalent morally. And one of the things that has come out over the last eight or nine months of COVID and the nonsense going on in our streets and theologians trying to talk about it and seminaries pumping out information about it is it's a commentary on how poor our moral reasoning is on so many of these uh, issues because we that moral equivalency. I mean, it just seems like to be the Trump card. And they put mm-hmm. it on the table. Everybody sinned. So everybody say you're sorry. Everybody say you forgive. And we go forward. No, we don't.
0: Yeah. And if you if you live that way, if you if you're in your heart, you're the guy that slashed the tires, right? And you're walking around and you got people affirming that, you know, well I did something wrong, he did something wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are living at odds with the very world that exists. You are living at odds with a God who is, and then you are not even functioning in the world um, according to justice. And you're (laughs) you're you're allowing somebody, if you're in pastoral ministry, you're allowing that person to be bent, to be crooked Mm -hmm. in the way that he lives. It's not you're not serving him. It's not going to be good for him. And so, one of the things you're aiming at, first and foremost, is you know we are created body and soul. So you want the soul, the mind, the heart of this individual. To be assessing the situation appropriately. Mm-hmm. So just say it first of all and just say, you need to see that these things are not equal. Right. And this guy Sir, okay, he shouldn't have yelled at you, but what you did was grievous. Mm-hmm. What you did was ten times or more worse than what uh, what has happened to you. And you need to make sure you see it. Do you right. see it in those terms and have a person assess it? Okay, yep, here's God's word, here's my actions. Oh wow. What well, what happened to me? This mm-hmm. this sin in the flesh is is serious. Mm-hmm. It means it's gonna take more effort to put it to death it means it's gonna it's going to require uh, more restitution Mm -hmm. and how to make this right and then and then walk that out in very practical ways with them so yeah that's a huge part and that's uh, even assessing if you were on the other end so if the person that had the tire slashed is um you know what 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 you can see or you can already see how people are going to twist this and mess this up you know the guy's sitting there and they do go through the moral equivalency moment and the guy's walking out of that and didn't get any of that he had his tire slashed and he's thinking okay and then he thinks well you know hey pastor i mean uh you think he you think it might be good for him to like hey man well don't play the victim you know don't play the victim like, no 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 no, no. Yeah. you're not necessarily playing the victim just because you are wanting some kind of restitution yeah, in a moment where somebody right. has sinned against you grievously right. so it has um, immediate application to the topic at hand
1: yeah and to remember God so it, it, w- was he justified for cursing the fellow out or, or screaming at him simply no so you got to deal with God before that I mean the, you have responsibility responsibilities too. But your responsibilities don't mean that the making things right gets taken off the table. And so if it's a crime, hey, call the civil authorities. You know, you get the civil authorities involved to make that right. But own your responsibility before God. Do it in a way where you're constantly, you're, you're progressively being trained by the word as to what that responsibility is and then how you emotionally should respond to it and don't don't beat yourself up if you're angry because of something heinous Happened to you or someone you love, anger is an appropriate emotion that Mm -hmm. God gave us that could be rightly expressed in those times. If in your anger you sin, well, own your sin as God defines sin, repent of it. You have a savior who died for your sin, but don't let that then become something that jerks you in the other direction uh, that says, oh gosh, you know, well, I'm a sinner too, so I'm no better than the person who did this horrible thing. No, no, you got to think biblically, you got to reason in the the realm of what the Bible teaches us about what's right, wrong, good, and true.
0: Amen. Well, thanks so much for listening to The Sword and the Trial today. We hope that this podcast has been helpful to you. And again, we would love to see you in January, January 21 through 23. We have our Doctrine of God Conference. You can sign up at founders.org.